Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I am your host, Wilk of Wilksworld.com, and I am so incredibly grateful that you are taking the time to join me for another powerful DTH episode. Friends, at the D-Rate the Hate podcast, it's all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. See, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. That all starts with gratitude and personal accountability. We cannot control everything that happens to us in life, but we can control how we react to it. How we act, how we react, no matter what happens to us, how we react to it makes the difference. Friends, there is only one good thing about a bad attitude, and that is that we have the ability as individuals to change it. Here on the DTH Podcast, we strive to bring you great guests and provide tools to do just that. Please be sure to share it with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Ratings and feedback are always greatly appreciated. And with that, let's get to this week's episode. Every now and then, somebody will pop into your life that you just didn't expect, but you know that if you talk to them more, you're going to find out some incredible things. I recently had this happen when I was a featured speaker in a forum on everyday working class Americans. One of the commenters in that forum happened to be Jim Palumbo. Now, I didn't know anything about Jim prior to that, and something that he said really stood out to me. So I reached out to Jim just because I wanted to learn more about his mindset, what made him tick. And I found out that he's, he's actually an author. He's written several books. He's been a guest lecturer. He's a professor and world traveler that's done a lot with his life. But his life actually started, his life in education actually started after being incarcerated. I had no idea what I would learn from Jim, but he had this phenomenal story and this take on our country, a country that's at odds with its own identity that I never really thought of, and I certainly didn't think of it in the way that Jim brings it up. Our conversation was incredible, I just wanted to learn so much more about why Jim thinks that so many people lack that ideological clarity, why he talks about character and culture being truly missing in the conversation about the country in which we live. There's so much that he brought to the table in that conversation. One of the biggest problems that we face today in this country is the fact that we have a lack of informed citizenry. And Jim's all about talking about how we can fix that and how we can be a better country, how we can be better people, and how we can just live better lives through education. Another great DTH conversation that you do not want to miss. Here we go. Jim Palumbo, welcome to the D-Rate the Hate podcast, my friend. It's so good to see you again. Thanks, Welk. I appreciate being here and look forward to Another conversation. Yeah, you know, we had a we had a great conversation a little while back. We met during a Braver Angels members meeting. You know, something you said really hit me, and and, and so I reached out to you, and, and I'm glad that that you responded because there is there's a lot we we had a, had to talk about, and and then that first conversation we had just intrigued me so much, and and I'm so glad that you've decided to join me, Jim, on the on the D-Rate the Hate podcast, because a few of the things that y- you talked about and that we talked about actually, you know, kind of stuck out for me. And 
and then I, you know, I looked into into a book you wrote a while back, and and then and then a couple things. So let's start our conversation, Jim. With why don't you tell the DTH listeners a, a little bit about yourself? You know, your your background growing up, and then kind of j- just so everybody understands, Jim went to prison for a little while based on some things he did when he was younger and completely changed the course of his life. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's a great story. It's a comeback story. It's a story of redemption and of somebody who's really doing their best right now to better the world that we live in. And, uh, and, I, and I appreciate it so much. So Jim, tell the DTH listeners a little bit about your backstory and how you ended up in America's prison system. Uh, thanks for saying all that and framing it the way you did, by the way. I mean, that's it's uh, always inspiring for me to hear people say that. Um, so thanks. Um, the the uh, the backdrop is probably uh, t- takes me back to my where my mother and father started, actually, in the post-World War II America. And they're meeting and married in, in the Depression prior to the war struggling through all that um, as Americans. Um, my father going into the war and my mother taking his job at a, at, a, a, at a critical point for a corporation in America that was just beginning to find its way, uh, IBM. And I was born in 1950, post-World War II, and so I, I entered the world in one of the greatest times in the in the history of our American experiment, and maybe the history of all civilizations. I mean, there was just all kinds of opportunities um, coming from our command in the world. And so there was this spirit in the world. And of course, when the civil rights movement hit, there was a, there was the question started to pop up about that, um, the, the, the landscape of America and the nature of freedom and equality. And this was my time, um, although I didn't quite recognize it for um, what it was about. I recognized it as an opportunity for me to make money. And that's how I started, making money as a young kid, paper routes, hustling money, um, shooting pool, playing cards, caddying, money talk, bullshit walk kind of stuff. And I found myself involved in a lot of um, uh, organized crime situations. Went on to get involved in the drug business, moved to Las Vegas and became somewhat of a of a player out there. And then got caught up in the system and probably would have stayed in that kind of gangster mode. Um, and I, I mean, I, I was relatively good at it. And had the kind of character that fit with a lot of things, you know, New York, wise guy, Guinea type, Italian type. Um, But I I thought about how much time I was going to waste in that occupational hazard of going in and out of prison. And thought about education and tried to pursue it the best I could. And I got really, really lucky. Um, divine intervention, however you want to frame it. And somebody heard me talk about education and helped me. And that's is often the case in some drastic situations where somebody hears you and they open up and, uh, and it was my, my prison counselor. And mm-hmm. we put together an education program, post-secondary education program, a studying political science. 
he brought in a book, The Critique of Legal Order by Richard Quinney, that framed for me how important money is in our system. And I had never heard anybody talk about that in a way that made sense to me about the courts and the criminal justice system and things that are influenced by money. And I had never heard anybody uh, articulate those kinds of issues in the way that he did. And, and what year, uh, uh, what time frame is this that this this happened, that, that you're in prison and, and you, you find this revelation that education can change the trajectory of your life? 1976. 1976. Okay. Yeah, a long, long time ago. Uh, it's a while. It's a while. <laughs> and and uh, so I followed that path and I sort of vowed that if if I could get out of the circumstances, I would then healthy and my family could be healthy and stay healthy so that I could sort of make up to them what I had, the stuff that I had put on. Um, I'd stay with education with all with, with, with all my energy. And that's what happened. And I yeah. was able to, to, to uh, complete a couple degrees and carry on and then Got a job as a professor with the University of Maryland in 1990 and, and uh, traveled the world. I yeah. got to live in Europe and the Middle East and the Far East and as a criminal justice professor. And so I, I ended up going to places and measuring the American experiment all that while in ways that I had never thought possible. I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't have scripted that in, the, in, my, in my dreams. I mean, it right. was a, everybody hopes to have that happen, but right. it, it happened. And and I, and I want to get into that I want to get into that American experiment thing in just a minute but but first one of the things that really struck me in our conversation our last conversation Jim was was how you you talked about emerging from the the prison system and and hoping that your family would be whole and 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 they'd still love you and you'd be able to do something good coming out of such a bad situation and that really struck me. And I think a lot of people, I think all too often, people don't realize that there is opportunity in negative situations. You just have to be able to recognize it. You need to take the bull by the horns and and you as an individual take responsibility and get out there and do it. So so you talk in the, in the book, Criminal to Critic Reflections uh, Amid the Exper- uh, American Experiment, about being able to emerge from that situation with a renewed sense of hope and purpose. Talk about how you felt there coming out of that situation and then going into, because I, I know you've you've had this incredible life since then and the, the number of things that you've been able to do uh, in, in reflecting on the American experiment. But from a personal standpoint, what did that mean to you and what did that mean to your family? It meant to me at at the at the moment, there were times when I felt like I was I had been standing there my entire life, and I was struck by a scene from a movie with Steve McQueen called Papillon, and in in a dream he was being held uh, being judged by this uh, uh, group of individuals, and he kept asking him, "What am I guilty of?" What am I guilty of? And the the uh, chief judge looked down upon him as he was like groveling on the floor, and he said, "You're guilty of wasting a lifetime." And I that hit me like 
like the best punch I've ever gotten. Um, and I've had a few and, and it just woke me up to like, is that what I've done? I'm, I've taken all the things that I've been given and, and wasted them. And that transition helped me see my parents in a different way and my aunts and uncles, the people who had supported me, my sister, and, and the concept of love. And it was like this revelation. And so at that instant, I, I felt the power, but I was scared because I thought, well, can you, can you do this? Uh, you were locked up, you got an education and you, you got that step, but now you're outside and the world is different outside than it is inside. There's just no two ways about that. And so I was, I was, uh, trying to be still be Jimmy P the gangster. Uh, but inside me, there was just turmoil and I was. She had this internal imposter syndrome thing going on. I I imagine. Yeah, there was. I I mean, it was hard to shake. I was still in Vegas. I was on parole and I had a lot of friends that were expecting me to to continue on. And we were all going to we had plans to to carry on that kind of in the in the criminal world. And I had a meeting with a very faint running with a very famous gangster. Uh, He's been in movies and all kinds of stuff. And he asked me, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I heard you're, you know, applying to law school and you're smart guys. For some reason you're, you're hanging around trying to be, uh, you know, trying to do the, continue with this stuff. And I thought about that and this is what happened the next morning. I opened up the mailbox and inside was my acceptance into law school. Nice. And it was like, what? And went down to the parole office, got my interstate compact organized, and I was gone within a week. And I was I moved to California and never looked back on, on that life. But you can see this sort of this cycle of events that kept reinforcing what I was trying to do by giving me more opportunities, by having the door open. So I was extremely lucky. And I've heard that, you know, luck is the residue of design. And I believe that to some extent, but sometimes the luck comes in in bigger sums. And so I, I have a responsibility and that's why I've continued to, to stay, the, stay the course. But it wasn't, it wasn't just a skip and a jump as you, you understand this. And most yeah, people yeah. understand it, that it's like, Man, you want to go there, and you can. You got to get lucky. You, you got to have some uh, superpower on your side. And uh, well, I tell happen. you what, there's there's been several guests on the D Rate the Hate podcast, Jim, that have talked about being able to manifest what you really want in life, and being able to do things that you really want in life by by focusing and, and being hyper focused on that thing knowing what you want, knowing where you want to go and and focusing on that path. And it sounds to me like e- even though you were battling that imposter syndrome, even though you had friends and, and acquaintances and, and different uh, different people that that could have easily steered you back into that life that put you into the system, you had a strong enough mindset and mindset matters. You had a strong enough mindset that took you down a different path. And by all rights, it, it, it was it's it's been an incredible path. So let's talk about how that path 
ended up playing out further and and you ended up going to law school and and then became a a professor and and traveled the world so let's talk a little bit about that uh, in my experiences in in uh, the law school i went to one of the better schools in the country my torts professor ended up being a supreme court justice uh, uh justice kennedy I, but i didn't like it at all i i didn't like i i felt very uncomfortable i felt more comfortable on the prison yard than i did in law school. And that speaks to um, sort of our shared backgrounds, uh, working class person in a upper class law school, young people driving Porsches and so on and so forth. That's their business. And they were sharp young people, but it really didn't fit with my personality at that time. And I really didn't like much the idea of studying contracts and business law and uh, taxes and property. I was interested in the constitution and criminal law. So I got that uh, uh, under my belt and I moved on to a program where one of the people who I admired, uh, an an author, writer, um, teacher, was teaching at California State University in Sacramento, where I went to law school. And I transitioned to that school and I started teaching there. I got a master's degree in social work got some opportunities and moved on. And I found that in that kind of environment, my my education was fueled. My my desire for education was fueled. I wasn't, I, I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed talking about the issues. I enjoyed meeting people who were struggling and uh, like I struggled and that we could talk about things and, and, and help each other and so on and so forth. And that's what drove me further, further into the field, into the um, criminal justice field, teaching in criminal justice and sociology, going on to get another master's degree and a PhD program, and so on and so forth. And all the time, accumulating more experience and more um, thoughtfulness about what's going on in this country, what's what's happening, you know, what's happening with the people like my father and my mm-hmm. mother worked they worked um and they you know and what's what's happening here and then again getting the chance to travel the world and with the same measurement in mind it it really told me a lot about our country um and i'm i'm uh i'm here today to talk about a specific issue but i i i really like the fact that the purpose of this podcast is to demonstrate of your podcast is to demonstrate that people can talk with each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there are ways to um, disagree, but agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, some kudos to you too, as well. I mean, that that's cool. Thank you. And so and so here we are. I mean, and after years of writing and public discussions and classroom discussions and being a politics editor and writing several books and um, and and trying in different ways to get the ideas out there, even through screenplays and stage plays and uh, which I've written uh, all about the ideas about how do we think about our country? What is that? What is it that we're. We're, you know, how do we frame the American experiment? Right. And that's what led me to Braver Angels because they're attempting to do the same thing. Sure. Um, 
So, well, and, and you and you said in that other conversation that we we live in a country that is at odds with its own identity, and without an informed citizenry, we're just going to continue to be lost. So, kind of expand on that for me, if you would, Jim. Um, I I think that just that statement that you that you've uh, put out there um, speaks volumes in the sense that we all realize that you've got to sort of take a look at the person in the mirror and then start your steps forward. Um, examine that, or take a look at what you see. And so I, as I was doing that and I was reading more material and, and uh, thinking about America and recognizing in myself uh, what an American is like, I kept thinking about money, um, the motivations for money, uh, the power of money in our country, the power of money in our country, in the rest of the world, what we represent. And I couldn't help think that this is framed, those ideas are framed in the context of capitalism. That's what we do. And there's a hesitancy to talk about that by a, a large number of people because it just sounds like, what are you, whoa, 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 what are you getting at here? Are you somehow a communist? Are you, you know, are you influenced by other ideologies that's making you talk about America in its capitalist ways? And, and as I would hear that, I'd sort of chuckle like you did and, and think, that's our identity. That's what we do. That's what we're known for in the world. And it hasn't always been pretty. That kind of motivation, much like the motiv my own motivation for money and success and the ability to consume and et cetera, et cetera, it's not pretty. And we do have democracy that tries to temper that process. So I've been encouraging probably the last four decades that we talk about America in its what I call ideological clarity. We're a democracy and we're a capitalist country. So let's talk about, examine, sort through what that means. And I, it's as simple as that sounds, and I, I could probably reference you as an example. I'm not so sure you've had the opportunities to talk about America as a capitalist country. I, I think that that would be um, something you might even object to. If you heard me speaking, you might, you might, or like with others might think, I don't, I don't think I like this game anymore. Well, see, um, you know, Jim, I, when I think of capitalists and capitalism, I love it. I, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I make no bones about it that I, I'm a, a, a American loving capitalist. And that started with me understanding from a very, very young age that the harder I worked, the more I could make. And the more I knew, not necessarily education wise, but certainly wisdom wise, I could advance my opportunities, much like you did as a young man to make money. Now, I also made money shooting pool and, and, and doing paper routes and stuff. By the time I was 10 years old, 
I, I had two paper routes and was a janitor five days a week at a at a dry cleaning business at ten years old because I knew and and that was in the in the early to mid eighties that if I wanted things. I had to work for them. And capitalism provides opportunity to people in this country that in many other countries, they don't have those opportunities. They have to either be a criminal. They have to be a in some aristocracy or aristocracy's lineage, or they just end up a serf uh, beholden to some king or or some other dictator. So I love the capitalist system. And and when people try to run it down, I kind of shake my head and, and feel bad for them. But what, uh, are they, what are they, what is it that those people are saying? What is it that, that troubles you about that? About well, cap, talking about capitalism. You know, I, when, when people talk about capitalism in a negative light, Generally, the conversations that I've seen, Jim, are those that do not like a disproportionate result from things. So I grew up very poor uh, with very, you know, working class parents that could not provide much more than the bare essentials, let's say, you know, much like I'm sure that you did. And there are many out there that believe and and these are people that i've i've spoke with or heard you know on on whatever any any number of different avenues they do not like the fact that everybody doesn't get the same result they think that just because i have a heartbeat and i can fog up a mirror that i deserve the same thing that the guy next door to me has even though he may be more talented have more drive be, be smarter, blah, 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 name any number of different criteria. But the fact that there are so many out there that, and some are just lucky. Let's, let's face it. Some are just lucky. They fall into the right job or they fall in with the right crowd or whatever. But a lot of people, let's face it. You got a doctor that might be making, you know, 400,000 a year. You've got a quarterback for an NFL team that might be making 40 million a year. You know, uh, who who's doing more for society, the doctor or the, the, the NFL quarterback or the guy that's driving the garbage truck? You know, by all rights, sanitation work has done more for the health of us as a people than the hospital system has. But that garbage truck, that garbage truck driver is probably making, depending on where in the country he is, somewhere between 45000 and $80,000 a year. In many places, he's not making a living wage doing what he's doing, but he's working more hours and probably working harder and certainly smells worse at the end of the day than the doctor or the, the NFL quarterback. So the gist of it is this. People don't like capitalism, and I'm not saying all people, But anti-capitalists don't like capitalism because they don't like a disproportionate outcome for a proportionate amount of work. So that's my thoughts on it. And and I'm sure you've got a whole set of ideals on your own about it. But our country's identity, you know, us as as a constitutional republic, 
a democratic republic, however, you know, people want to say it. I, I think you made a great point, Jim, when you say our identity is not necessarily our political system, but it is a combination of the political system and the capitalist system. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and I think it's important following up. I, I don't dispute anything you said. Um, I think that, that's, that those are fair observations. Um, and they ring true in a lot of different ways. If, if you begin to consider the American experiment, as you would with any other system, there are micro ways to look at it, um, looking at individual circumstances and saying, well, the quarterback, uh, the Tom Brady's, the Tiger Woods, uh, the doctors and lawyers and the power in politics and the certain politicians that wield enormous amounts of power and the corporations, etc. You start to go up the ladder from that micro look into the mid-level and then the macro level. What What is this system that feeds that, that feeds the that inequality that bothers so many people. And it really isn't the, the, the inequality like, well, you got that and I can't have it or I should have it. It's the nature of opportunity, which is an important word. And that opportunity that seemed to have surfaced in the civil rights era, you know, where America's blowing up. I mean, we're going across the world, we're rebuilding the world banks and military and all this power. And there's a group of people saying, wait a second, where's our piece of that pie? And as I looked at that, having not really concerned myself with that, it was almost like, you know, quit whining, go out, you know, bake your pie, you know, find your own apples. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. But as I looked at that from a, a, a systemic point of view, I started to realize that that's why we had quota systems, and that's why we had um, affirmative action, because we had no alternatives. We really, there was nothing else on the board that was going to speak to a large number of people saying, where's our access to opportunity? Mm -hmm. You can't just trust the corporations to give everybody a job because they've demonstrated that they'll pick the white advantaged male. That's that was the best choice. Why give anybody else an opportunity? Because I want my corporation or my business or my educational institution to function at its highest level. Yeah. And that meant we're going to continue to pick those people. And so as I looked at that, I started to think, I don't like the way this sounds. I didn't want to necessarily think this way, but using logic, I started to see, well, there's a system that's pushing that, that's mm -hmm. pushing those things. And it's not democracy. If democracy is doing anything, it's trying to shape the quality of things like freedom. And, and by the way, the real reaction to the civil rights movement was in terms of a, a, a cry for equality. That was tugging at people's freedom. People were saying, Wait a second, I gotta give up some of my money. I've got to give up some opportunities. I've got to open the door for this. That curtails my freedom. And America is the freest country in the world, mm. which is. 
so equality and freedom don't match. They, they, they don't necessarily yeah. always match. But one thing, Jim, that I want to bring up, because you talked about a pie. And when I think about capitalism versus other people's view of capitalism, they think of a pie and they think of the pie is always this big. And and for the, those people just listening to this on audio, think of just a, a, a finite piece of, of, of a pie. It's, it's one size and no matter how many people get involved, if more people are involved in the game, then the slivers of that pie get smaller. But the real thing about capitalism that I love, Jim, is the fact that as more people get involved, the pie continues to get bigger. And as more things are invented and, and as, as, as innovation inspires new creations, that pie continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's not that more people getting involved in the game means our pieces of pie get smaller. That pie getting bigger means there's more pie for everybody. And, and that's the way that I view it. I mean, that's that's fair enough. But I think you would have to agree that the, the, the pie image, that as the pie grows, it grows because there's more money being made. And the people that are making the most amount of money are the people who always make the most amount of money. And so there's some inequality that develops. And when you're interested in inequality and you're interested in this, and it's hard to argue that we don't have this strange um, um, uh, system where money ends up in the hands of very few people, power people. That feeds into the political system, that feeds into corruption, that feeds into maintaining their interests. Um, that's part of examining the system. And is uh, without doing that, then you're sort of left with, well, let's either forget about that or stop talking about it. You have to do the good with the bad, just like that individual looks in and says, yeah, well, I'm look at me and look at my muscles and look at how I look. And look at my ability to get along. So, you know, don't over, forget about the fact that I'm a little criminal or that I drink. (laughs) Please. And that's not fair. That's not, that's not recognizing us for who we are. There are, uh, when you start to examine this, and you can see as we, you and I are talking, there's an enormous amount of area for discussion here. And oh, there's, yeah, yeah. it's infinite. There's so many aspects to it. I'm going to send you some material that doesn't really make it so infinite. There are ways to look at this. And this is what I did in the classroom, which helped me become uh, successful at what I did. Um, But there are when you look at the American experiment, it's hard to say that there aren't two forms of uh, dual forms of justice. There's one for people who have money and one for people who don't. All you have to do is step into the justice system, step out into the street for 10 minutes, and you're going to see totally different scenarios based on how much money you have. Cash, color, and class are the major influences in how the criminal justice system operates at every level. Yeah. And and I think think in this country, probably more than any other... um, I mean, when I look at the country that we live in, Jim, and, and the world in which we live nowadays, 
and and just the things my experience and and not only my experience but my knowledge of of what I've seen from other places having dealt with a lot of people I haven't been to a lot of other countries but I've dealt with a lot of people from a lot of other countries and I see the world in which we live through that lens and when I think of the United States of America I think of the the most successful and the most beautiful multicultural multi-ethnic multi-racial country on the planet and, and I think you're right. I mean, th- there's always been a difference in the way that other people are treated, but there's also a reason for the fact that more people from other places on the planet try to come to the United States than try to go anywhere else. So I think it comes down to more more than color. I, I think that it comes down to the haves and the have-nots, that, that aristocracy mentality that we don't have as bad as other places in the planet, but that haves and have nots thing. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a, in a very poor family uh, from the Midwest and did not have nearly the things that, that many other people growing up uh, around me had. And, and I saw very clearly how people that had stuff versus people that didn't have stuff were treated. But I ne- I did not let that. Well, I let me let me rephrase that. I did have a lot of animosity for that for a long time in my life. That's probably one of the reasons that I was so angry for so long in my life. I've gotten beyond that now. But it, does that make a lot of? I mean, does that make sense? You know? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense as you focus on your own individual circumstance. Right. There are, you know, the, the and. Those stories are fair to bring to the table, but there's a society here and there are, there are factors that are influencing an entire society. And there's a history of a country here. There's a history of a country that's in some cases has blood on its hands. Mm-hmm. And, and those kinds of things are what a, um, an objective observer has to look at. You, you you can't just say, hey, that's the way systems are. That's the way countries are. That's not good enough. Uh, if you're interested in finding out about the American experiment, then you have to look into those uh, to those areas and examine those. And again, the dual system of justice, we have a dual system of education. We have more poverty than we need. We have more incarceration than we need. We have a criminal justice, if you want to call it justice, we have a criminal industrial complex that's grown like it's absurd mm-hmm. it's absurd what's happened because of there's money being made and what happens is is that you have to scratch your head and think wait a minute are we trying to address that problem because sociologists deal with social problems mm-hmm. trying to address that problem or capitalize on it? or or to what extent are we capitalizing on it and not really solving the problem we have to examine that and it's uncomfortable because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, leave well enough alone. We, we've got a great country. We've done great things. We are world leaders. But, but there are stains we, in our past. There, there, there's no- and there are stains in, as we exist. Yeah. Um, and there are other countries who have other models, other models of capitalism, by the way, which is the major economic system in the world across all ideological systems. There are different forms of capitalism. So to understand capitalism in our country means 
that we should understand capitalism as it operates in all those other countries, whether it's China or European countries or South American countries. This is making, looking at this is making us a more informed citizenry. It's not to make us uh, revolutionaries or, um, or, or crazy. It's just to make you think, wow, there's a lot to learn here. And part of my, uh, what I'm trying to encourage is, look, we've got people at um, captured at certain points in their life in, in an educational system, in, in our educational systems. Where is the civic education that allows us to talk about this and not kill each other over it? Not say, well, geez, you know, Wilk and Jim were out in the parking lot just kicking the shit out of each other <laughs> because, you know, Wilk is saying, you know, he's no good anti-American. And, and Jim is saying, no, no, you're some dumbbell redneck. redneck and that's got to stop. That public discourse that, that we've seen, especially degrading in our country for the past several years, has has yeah it, it's gotten out of control and, and you're right I, I mean jim there's 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 plenty of things that you and i that would agree on there, there's going to be plenty of things that, that we disagree on but at the end of the day it, it's really about having a civil discussion and, and being able to love each other as neighbors you know respect each other's uh, respect each other's input respect each other's uh, mindset and see the humility or not the humility, the humanity and the humility in each other's argument. I mean, and, and this is by no means what I consider this an argument. I think this is a great discussion. I think it's a great conversation, but you're right. You're right. In order for us to become a more informed citizenry and in, in, in order for us to truly understand how we got to where we are, people have to have a civil discussion despite their differences and despite the 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 things that they disagree upon let me let me throw this throw this in because you you're hitting on a good point this isn't this uh, conversation that i'm encouraging about ideological clarity is one of the few topics we all share this isn't me against you this isn't i i i i want guns and you don't i want abortion and you don't this isn't like that. This is understanding our country for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're a liberal, conservative, or an alternate thinker. This will help you become a better informed citizen. Then vote the way you want. This isn't meant to say, hey, Will, I want you over on the liberal side. Or you to say, hey, Jim, I want you over on the conservative side. Or, hey, let's, you know, let's get out there and kick some ass. That has nothing to do with this. This is simply understanding in a nonpartisan way the variables that are at play in our country to me it's it's a it's a no-brainer it's mm -hmm. like well if you argue against this which some people do you're arguing against education and i so, I, I always say that and i i want the person who is saying i i don't this this is going to lead to problems with stand up and identify yourself as somebody who is against education, because this isn't to lead you into a partisan situation. Mm -hmm. This is to understand the country. And this is important because there's very few topics that where we can share that opportunity to link to something 
that we're all connected to. We're all connected to American capitalism mm-hmm. and to our our the, the 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 idea the principles of democracy and the practices of capitalism. We're all tied to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does it work itself out? How do uh, uh, liberals connect the dots? And what happens with social problems? How do conservatives connect the dots? And what happens with social problems? These these kinds of things should be in our, we should have a dialogue for this. Yet when you start this, it's almost the first thing you get is anxiety or anger. And it's interesting to stand up in front of a group of people. I'll mention this to you. My, My uncle Tony, who was a typical Italian Uncle Tony, mm-hmm, uh, big guy, played football for Syracuse back in the 50s, was sort of the, you know, that damn get up and go to work kind of guy, mm-hmm. asked me after hearing the presentation when I wrote my first book. And he said, you know, it's the first time I listened to somebody t- talk about this stuff, and I hear you. He said, would you would you come and talk to, um, it was a church a, a group, um, and uh, I can't remember the order of something and an American Legion mixed together. These guys had had, had shared um, experiences. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I, I, I'll do it. And he goes, I want you to just say the, whatever you said to me, because it, it's making sense. So, OK, so I came to have a luncheon and I came. I was the feature uh, um, uh, speaker and I got up in front of this group, almost all men. I looked at them all and I said, okay, everybody, say the word capitalism. And they wouldn't say it. It was like, you know, capitalism. I said, come on, please, (laughs) everybody, just say it. And it was, they wouldn't say the word. And I, I, you know, you can, you get my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and the only person that sort of mumbled it was my uncle Tony because he he sponsored the conversation sure. little by little we got into this discussion and talking about it and you could see that there were there was a real lack of dialogue over who we are and it was like wow and as we progressed and talked a little bit more we got to sharing some things and as the as the luncheon unfolded some of the guys were coming over and yeah, I remember you when you're just a little kid, but man, I, I see what you're saying, uh, you know, and, and good luck and all that kind of stuff. And so it was, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm saying that to you to demonstrate that this is a tough road to, for us to, to get on. And I scratched my head and I, I, you know, it's like, this has been an uphill fight. I mean, I, I could have made a better career choice, I guess. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, you know, I think you've done very well in your career choice. I mean, this is this is your knit. This is what you do, and and I think I think you're you're an incredible avenue for people to become more informed. Jim, what would you say to the DTH listeners as far as what would you? We can say, yeah, get, get out there and 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 get a civic education or whatever. But as far as becoming a more informed citizenry, like I, I think I think both you and I can agree that a, a more informed citizenry is more is very important. I, I think our 
second or our post-secondary education system at this point has become a, a shambles in in many way and 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 even our education system our pre-secondary education system it has has become an indoctrination mill unfortunately but i think much like you did you know you're started in the prison system but you were able to find and, and seek out mentors that guided you down the right path. Jim, what is your suggestion for people who want to become more informed, become part of that informed citizenry to try and understand the identity of our country, a country that you and I both love? That's a, that's a great question. And, and, uh, much like we're doing with the issue of dialogue in general, this is going to take a lot of work and a lot of energy. And people have to look for what they don't know. That's always hard to do because the particularly the older you get, you just start to attach things to what you know. And you develop a, a logic or a philosophy, and that's how things work. It's asking people to, to get off that. and. That's hard, but there's a chance now, given the, 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 the way that we're trying to encourage dialogue between people, this is an element that belongs in that. This is an element that Braver Angels should be subscribing to. This is an element that the Kettering Foundation and people that are interested in education and, and talking about democracy, the McCourtney Institute on Justice and Fix Us and all those other groups, the there should be a piece of all that, a piece of each one of them that are encouraging, hey, you know, we've got to include this. We've got to include this reference to our identity. We can't just save democracy by ignoring who we are. It won't happen. And so it's going to take that and it's going to take people who are worried about the future of the country and worried about their children, not just from a political standpoint, like I'm a conservative and I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the conservative party. But as as a country, we need to know more. And so when you ask, well, what can we do? You have to encourage, encourage, encourage better civic education processes, look to learn more, just like you're probably telling your children what they need to do, you know, Broaden your horizons. Think beyond that, you know, the, the street corner. Um, the world's a big place. And encourage leaders and encourage um, uh, institutions and ask your local politician. And you'll, you'll be shocked if you ask 10 politicians about what's the nature of, how's the nature of capitalism influence the decisions we're making? You will not get an answer. You won't get an answer. You'll get dismissed or well, that's a pretty good question, but that's that's a loaded one. A lot to unpack there. Um, I appreciate it, you know. And, and, and you think, well, gee, a lot of avoiding the question. Isn't that essential to what you're sort of promising us? Um, and and we've got to stop that. And this isn't this isn't rocket science. I could, and I I, I know I mentioned this to you before. Uh, you and I go to a ball game. You know, you call me up and say, I, I'm going to take you to a baseball game because I know you don't understand baseball. And you've been talking to me about baseball, baseball. Come on, I'm going to talk to you about baseball. Thanks, Will. When are we going? 
we go out to the ballpark, grab ourselves a beer, sit down, and you start telling me about the ball game. First base, second base, shortstop, third base, all the outfielders, the weather, impact of the weather, the umpires, the what the coaches are doing, the signals they're talking. And after two or three innings, I'm thinking, you know, hey, Will, can you tell me about the pitcher and the catcher? You know, the mechanism by which this game is played. And you turn to me and say, that's eh, not important. Don't worry about it. That to me is an analogy of talking about the American experiment without talking about the mechanism by which our game is played. It's like, what? what's the secret? I doubt you now. I don't trust you. Right. Not, you know, and all of a sudden, well, you know, I really like you and I'm enjoying this beer, but I don't know, man, you're missing a piece of baseball that, you know, and, and again, that's just a, a sort of a, a, it's a great analogy. It, it's uh, analogy. And, and that's where we're at. And it's so obvious. So again, I'm encouraging people to look for this, ask for it. And I'm going to send you two uh, pieces that I've written, easy to read, and they connect the dots in ways I'll bet that they've never been connected. And I hope we're going to talk about that, even if it's just you and I uh, sharing some ideas, uh, that we're going to talk about that material again, because I think you've created a platform and a base, and you have the personality, you have all the characteristics by which that's going to matter to you, because you are interested in becoming and being, not becoming, in being a better American. It's Mm -hmm. clear in everything you say. And it's clear in your ability to have a dialogue with someone, someone like me, to reach out and do it. And that man is a is a real positive, productive piece of our problematic puzzle. Without that, we're sunk. And so here we are. And and so we we we, we both need to encourage the dialogue. And I would like to see this piece put in. I'd like to be able to get. More people in the media, both on on the Fox end of it and the CNN end of it, talking about this, sure. having a dialogue, and and look for it. Look for it either on Fox or CNN. You won't find it. Right? No, you're not. You're not going to find that on, on on there, Jim. I, I mean, I don't. I don't care which side of it. You know, whether it's an MSNBC or a CNN or or, or a Fox or, or whatever. Having that true clarity, having a, a true civic understanding of of our past does not bode well for those that keep want to keep us separated. So having the dialogue to get that ideological clarity that we all need and having that dialogue in a civil and responsible way is really, you know, what the D-Rate They Hate podcast is about in many ways. All about bettering the world one attitude at a time. You cannot better the world or the country in which we live if you're constantly trying to keep people separated. So, uh, you know, I can't I can't tell you how much I appreciate this conversation, Jim. And, and yes, it, there's there's going to be a lot more to our relationship, our friendship than just just a conversation here on the D-Rate Day podcast. Uh, I, I've found so much value in this conversation and what we've gotten uh, or what I've what I've gotten out of it and what I know that the D-Rate the Hate listeners are going to get out of it. So, uh, you know, I, I look forward to a continued uh, friendship and relationship with you, Jim. And uh, so, so honored, so grateful to have you 
as a guest on the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I, I appreciate that. And right back at you with all those, the same kind of thoughts and sentiments. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to more. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you. As they used to say, peace and power, you know. <laughs> Very cool, my friend. Okay, I'll be talking with you. Friends, if there's anything in this episode that provided exceptional value to you, please make sure to hit that share button. Share it with your friends. Share it far and wide. And of course, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe right from our website so you can get the Derate the Hate podcast sent to your email inbox every week. So this is Wilk wrapping up for the week saying get out there. Be kind to one another. Be grateful for everything that you've got. And remember, it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. If there is something that you would like to share with me, you can catch me on most social media platforms or you can email me directly, wilk at wilksworld.com. With that, my friends, I am going to back on out of here and we will catch you next week. Take care.